Luke's English Podcast is supported by my sponsors and by donations from listeners. And if you sent me a donation during the month of December, I would just like to say thank you very much indeed. So here we go. Thank you very much indeed. Donating really helps me not just pay for things like podcast hosting and recording equipment. It's also the most sincere way that you can say thank you for my work, and I appreciate it very much. I also receive support from Sponsorship, and the sponsor for this episode is italki. And if your New Year's resolution is to really work on your English, then you should get some one-to-one lessons with italki because that's a great way to put your best foot forward and really give your English fluency a boost at the beginning of the year. And because you listen to this podcast, italki are offering you a free lesson. To get that offer and for more information, go to teacherluke.co.uk/talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. Happy New Year, first of all. It's 2018. Happy New Year. I hope that you had a good one. Um, I mean, a good New Year's Eve, wherever you are, however you chose to celebrate it, whether you went out for a party or you saw some fireworks or something, or you simply chose to stay in and just read a good book on your own or something. Whatever you did, I hope that you enjoyed it and that you're now ready to get stuck into 2018 with some positivity, determination, and some hope in your heart, even if you are still recovering from your night of celebrations on New Year's Eve. Here's the first episode of Luke's English Podcast in 2018. This is episode number 502. And I've chosen to make this a personal episode of the podcast. Our baby daughter has finally arrived. Um, She's absolutely adorable, But of course, I would say that uh, because she's my daughter. And my wife and I both feel extremely lucky, very grateful and proud. And I tweeted about this and I put a post on Facebook and also wrote something in the comments section on the website um, just to let my listeners know because I feel that quite a lot of you were keen to get updates on this um, situation since you've been following this news since I talked about it first in episode 474 when I said that my wife was pregnant and that we were going to have a baby. So I did, um, you know, tweet about it um, when uh, the baby was born um, on Boxing Day on the 26th of uh, December. Uh, I tweeted about it and this is what I wrote on Facebook, Twitter and on the uh, website. I said, good news, our baby daughter was born yesterday on Boxing Day. She's doing well and so is her mum. We're delighted and a bit exhausted. I expect there'll be a pause in the podcast for a little while, but Luke's English Podcast will be back soon. Happy New Year and cheers everyone. Baby emoji, champagne emoji, heart emoji. And... The response I got was amazing to me. Hundreds of people wrote lovely messages of congratulation. And the post got over 1,000 likes on Facebook, which is um, quite a lot in my experience. So I'd like to say thank you very much for the lovely messages that have been sent to me uh, on social media and on the website. Thank you very much. That's very kind of you and sweet of you. Now, 
I was wondering whether I would talk about this, meaning, you know, uh, the birth of the baby. I was wondering whether I'd talk about this on the podcast. After all, this is a podcast which is ostensibly about learning English, and it's not about all the details of my personal life. That's the idea anyway, although quite a lot of the time it does drift into me kind of sharing things about my life. But the main purpose of this is to help you learn English. And I don't necessarily want this podcast to become some sort of reality show, and it won't be. Uh, But I have decided that perhaps I should talk about this very personal experience here on the podcast in at least one episode. And let me explain why. So um, just the other day, on my way home from the hospital, just a, a couple of days after the baby was born, I was listening on the bus, I was listening to Ollie Richards' podcast. That's I Will Teach You a Language, the I Will Teach You a Language podcast. And I was listening to an episode of that. My wife was still in the hospital with our brand new daughter. And I was going back to our flat to tidy it up, to wash some baby clothes, to warm the place up and to prepare it for the arrival of the baby and my wife, but also to get the place ready for my parents and my brother who uh, would be visiting uh, a couple of days after. So um, it would be the first time our daughter had come home, having spent the first few days of her life in a room in the maternity ward in hospital, in safe surroundings, with midwives and nurses available around the clock, with all the care that she needed. And um, so... I suddenly became aware, uh, much more intensely aware, I should say, that I needed to make our flat a proper nest for this little creature to be comfortable, warm and safe. And I was aware of the importance of this before, of course, uh, and we'd already done a lot of things to get the flat ready. Um, My wife's nesting instinct, as they call it, had kicked in months before, but mine was only really properly kicking in uh, now as the baby had arrived. So I was heading back, leaving the two girls in the hospital ward, uh, which um, was the whole world as far as the baby was concerned. And I was feeling pretty raw and uh, having, you know, gone through lots of emotions um, over the previous couple of days having um, a virtually sleepless night on the first night. You know how it is. Um, And I decided on my way home to listen to something. um, And I picked an episode of the I Will Teach You a Language podcast with Ollie Richards, uh, the one featuring a fascinating interview with Stephen Krashen. Stephen Krashen is a celebrated linguist. And he is the guy behind the language acquisition theory, which is a very influential theory of how people learn languages. Now, if uh, any language teacher, certainly English teachers out there, will be aware of Stephen Krashen because he's a very influential person and he's kind of, you know, the things he's written about have informed uh, the way that we understand people learn languages and also have uh, contributed so much to the way that we teach English as a foreign language. So it was very interesting to listen to Ollie interviewing Stephen Krashen. And they were talking about how people learn languages. And Stephen Krashen was giving the benefit of his extensive experience and research into the subject. He's been searching for the answer 
to this question for years. How do we learn languages? And also, what are the best habits that we can adopt as language learners? And also, what can language teachers do to help people learn languages? He's very convinced, he's absolutely convinced, in fact, that he has the answer to those questions. And it's all to do with comprehensible input, which means basically exposing yourself to lots and lots of English in this case that you can mostly understand and that is motivating to listen to. And that if you consume enough comprehensible input, that this is how you take on language. This is how you acquire language. This is the the, uh, absolutely vital part of the process. He was particularly enthusiastic about stories, about listening to stories, about, um, you know, listening to people's stories in the target language. And he was enthusiastic about the fact that you need to search for interesting stories. You need to try and find voices um, that you can listen to because this is uh, vital in your acquisition of, of language. I suppose that those of you who are committed to listening to this podcast, you know this already because that's probably what you're doing. You you listen to this podcast specifically for that reason because you've, um, I guess you find that I talk in this personal way and that helps you learn English. Um, so, yeah, the advice that he was giving uh, on the podcast was search for interesting stories, listen to people telling stories, and find stories in which you want to know what happens next, and find stories that you're sort of personally invested in in some way. And he was very convincing about it. You can listen to that interview, by the way, on Ollie's podcast. It's the I Will Teach You a Language podcast, episode 220. You can listen to it yourself if you'd like to. And um, in my sleep-deprived and emotional state on the bus, I felt totally open to what he was saying, and it struck me as being so true. And I thought of some of my best English lessons that I've taught in my career, and I realised that many of them included stories um, not just stories in textbooks and stuff, but also stories about personal experiences that I'd had and that I've told my students and that I've converted into lessons. And, uh, you know, for example, telling the students a, 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 a personal story and making it funny um, and having them try to retell the story, write it down, maybe test each other on the details of the story and then creatively think of ways to continue the story with their own ideas and giving them chances to tell their own similar stories and correcting their language as they go, that um, they've always been really great lessons um, in my experience. And then I thought of the times that I've told stories on this podcast, like, for example, traveling experiences uh, with my wife in many cases, or episodes of The Lying Game, where I'm telling stories with my friends and you have to try and work out if the stories are true or not. I really like those episodes. I think that uh, my audience like those episodes too, for the most part. And then I thought about this episode, which I felt I had to do, trying to explain what it's like to bring a child into the world. I felt I had to do that because just mainly because of the the responses that I've had from you, the audience, that so many of you have asked me about it and have mentioned it and things like that. Um, So trying to explain what it's like to bring a child into the world. And I thought, well, what I can do is I'll just try and tell it like a story, starting from the pregnancy and then going through the different stages of what happened and how they felt. 
Um, and I thought that might be a good way to, 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 to kind of kill two birds with one stone, kind of t- give people um, some information about this experience and also make it a, an interesting language learning opportunity. And then I started preparing some notes for it. I was just sitting on the sofa um, and um, like writing down some ideas. And I asked my wife to help me with some ideas. And she started kind of telling me what it was like for her. And then I thought to myself, well, why don't I just interview her about the experience? Um, because after all, she's the one who did most of the work. Um, so why don't I just ask her to tell her story and we can talk about it together? And I've never had my wife on the podcast before, as you know. And um, I've talked about my reasons for that. But then it just made sense for her to be in this episode. Because, as I said, she's the one who, was, who really did all the work in this birth. And I suggested it, and she seemed up, up for talking about it. And so I thought, well, why not just let her tell the story with me? So that's what you're going to hear. Uh, my, my wife and me, two proud parents, describing the birth of their first child. And I hope that you find it interesting and that it's not too cheesy or sentimental or anything like that. So we're going to start um, not we're going to start at the beginning, not the moment of conception. We won't be talking about that, of course, ha ha ha. But we will start somewhere during the pregnancy, and we'll try and tell you our experience from then until now. Uh, at this point, we are about a week after the the baby was born, and I'm looking at her right now. She's just been fed and changed. And she's half asleep and looking very satisfied with herself. She's got like a little smile on her face and uh, she looks extremely cute and adorable. Uh, and it's all still a bit unreal uh, for us now. So hopefully this will be an engaging story, an engaging thing to listen to that will help you learn English according to Stephen Krashen's theory. And um, remember that you can listen to the episodes called Becoming a Dad, which I recorded with Ben and Andy. And that's where you will find vocabulary explanations for many of the words and phrases relating to this subject that you will hear in this conversation. Hopefully, this will also just get across to you the weird and wonderful mix of feelings and emotions that are involved in what is a very significant moment in anyone's life. In this case, Uh, mine and my wife's and of course our daughter's so here we go can you just um speak into the mic so i get uh, a level you're doing a sound check i'm doing a sound check what do you normally do for a sound check you check the sound you say <laughs> one two one two <laughs> that's right go on then say one two one two <laughs> one two one two Keep going. You can count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. Yeah, I can count. <laughs> <laughs> even am though I, even though you're French, you can count. Yeah. Am I going to be the funniest guest on your podcast? I don't know. Only the with, listeners can decide. <laughs> with all the comedians you interviewed, I may get the award of the funniest. Don't get carried away. <laughs> don't count your chickens. <laughs> All right. Um, all right. So why 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 have you never been on my podcast before? Because you didn't want to. Oh, I didn't want to. <laughs> really? Is that is that it? That I've just sort of because I'm a patriarch. 
You hid I, me. I hid it. Yeah. What's the reason why? Is it because I have hidden you away from the world because um, I'm some sort of overbearing tyrant of a husband, some kind of <laughs> patriarch who says, no, the wife, the, the wife's job is to stay in the kitchen silently or in the bedroom. Um, why not? I'd say you value your privacy. Mm-hmm. You give away so much about yourself that you're entitled to keep some stuff for yourself. And me including. You included. You see, <laughs> I'm going to make mistakes. <laughs> you might make mistakes, but it doesn't matter. And it, also because I'm a foreigner. Uh-huh. What's, what difference does that make? I think your listeners want to listen to native people. Real British English. Exactly. Yeah, but your your English is good enough. Yeah, but I'm like them. I'm a learner. Really? Yeah. We're all learners, really, aren't we? Yeah, okay, but you know what I mean. I make mistakes. I'm not bilingual. Even if my English is not too bad, mm-hmm. um, I think they want to hear nice accents, no mistakes. It's how they learn. The best. Yeah, but you've got a nice accent and you don't mm. make many mistakes. And anyway, I've always said, you know, I've said so many times that... Um, these things aren't as important as people think. And um, I've had, you know, pe- non-native speakers on this podcast before. Um, I remember uh, there was a while, there was a period where I had quite a few non-native speakers in a row. I happened, you know, I had a few friends of mine who I think were French comedians in a row. And I got one or two messages, do you remember, from just one or two people said, I think that it would be better if your podcast yeah, exactly. had only native yes, speakers. Yes, I remember very well. That's why I'm saying that. Okay. Just uh, you have to please your audience as well. Yeah, so. but, you know, again, I think I think you could be you could be an example, though, of, you know, someone who's uh, learnt English. And uh, it just goes to show that just because you're not a native uh, in the language, it doesn't matter, really, that uh, everyone has a right to Yeah, but then uh, they may think you're a bad teacher. Because <laughs> I make lots of mistakes. <laughs> they may think, oh my God, they've been living together for how many years? And she still makes lots of mistakes. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's going to have a bad impact on you. Do you think you've learned any English from me? Yeah, a lot. You remember my level when we met? It wasn't bad. Yeah, but it was less good than it is today. Uh-huh. Okay. No. No, I've, yeah, yeah, I remember doing some IELTS test with you. Yeah. And you got something like a C1 in that. So mm. I think you started out pretty good. Yeah, but it's more, it's more that I haven't hindered your English. <laughs> no, it's just like I was really shy at the beginning to talk. You remember when mm-hmm. I was in Paris and you were in London? Um, I was afraid to talk to you on Skype. <laughs> because I wasn't sure I could understand everything or I could express myself quite cre- clearly. But then it improved. Yeah, you were also scared of making telephone calls. Yeah, you yeah, definitely. To, if it was a booking for a restaurant yes. or something you'd, or a taxi, you'd, you'd give me the telephone. And <laughs> I, had to, I had to do it. Yes. Um, but sometimes when I deal with, like, in my professional, for my job, yeah, um, and I speak to people in the States or in the UK, yeah, I still have this little fear of not understanding everything yeah mainly because of the accents when i call london that's fine when it's outside of london or uh in the states sometimes Mm. it just gets a while before i acclimatate my ear to the accent (laughs) i can't say that right (laughs) 
Um, when you get used to it, it takes a while to get used to the okay. accent. Yeah, oh I would God. say to get used to it. No, that's great. To, to what did you say to? Well, we do say to acclimatize. <laughs> to acclimatize means to get used to the climate, but that's normally for things like weather. You you know, like if you go to uh, just because in French we say acclimaté, ah. that's why. You know, right? You get used to the climate around you, and it's not necessarily the weather climate. It's like the environment. Anything. Like. It could be like the way. I suppose sometimes you think I'm clever in English, just because I <laughs> translate like French word to English. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it's a disaster. That's right. Well, not a disaster. <sighs> um, okay. Well, anyway, it's nice to have you on the podcast after all this time, and uh, it feels like it's become kind of blown up. I mean exaggerated the, the the fact that i haven't had you on the podcast i just haven't had you on the podcast and it's not been for any particularly big reason it's more just as you said i, I just always thought that i would draw certain lines um in terms of privacy because as you said i have revealed lots of things about myself and and talked per, about personal things and there's good reason for that because i think it makes hopefully i think it makes the uh, uh content more engaging to listen to you know when you're when you feel there's a person behind the words it makes it perhaps more interesting to hear and um so that's always what i've done until now obviously because now here you are on the podcast. Just because I've become the mother of your child? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> you're, uh, yeah, your, your voice is only valid in, in the sense that you're the mother of my child. Okay, that's right. The, that's the only reason why I would have you on here. Um, why? Okay, why have I asked you to be on this particular episode? W was I planning to do this? I don't know. Tell us. Well, no, I wasn't really. <laughs> we were just sitting here on the sofa, uh, our daughter's sleeping in the cot over there sleeping thank goodness yes she's quite good yeah isn't that funny though that parents we bring a, a child into the world and then we just want them to sleep <laughs> yeah true but um so so what was happening yeah. is that we were sitting here and i was planning this episode of the podcast and i was kind of saying to you oh you know i need to try and write down some notes to help me remember what happened during the pregnancy and the run-up to the birth and the birth itself and the immediate few days afterwards because that's the story I'm trying to tell and I was sitting here thinking well you know and I started asking you questions right I started saying well, how was the pregnancy for you and things like that and you started talking about it and I said why don't I just have you on the podcast talking about it because I think this is you've got more things to say about this than I do you're the one who did most of the work thank uh, you <laughs> for acknowledging that um so perhaps i can just ask you a few questions about it so how was the pregnancy for you then it was great really it went really well mm -hmm. um i think from the very first beginning uh <laughs> <laughs> the, from the very first beginning not just from the beginning not from the first beginning but I, from, I the can't say that. from the very You're first beginning abyss, but i can't well, you, you you can say that. I just find it funny that you always do. You're it just emphasizes, like, the yeah. fact that immediately from the beginning it went well, mm -hmm. and um, and we traveled to Japan uh, when I was like what two or three weeks pregnant, and uh, yeah, and right. we kept traveling this summer and. I worked during all the pregnancy and I feel this pregnancy wasn't something which prevented us from doing anything. 
No. Um, and it went really well. It prevented you from doing a few things that you love doing, though. Like? Eating sushi. Yes, true. But, I mean, it's not such a big deal. I mean, you can... It's not as if you have to stay in bed and not go to work. Right. Or um, you do like... Uh, Unless you work in a sushi tasting factory. That would be difficult. No, I mean, my job doesn't uh, require much physical exercise. I would have been like in a job like Working. more demanding physically. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been another story. But that wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. So overall, I think this pregnancy was great and blissful ah blissful mm-hmm. okay and so did, didn't you find it uncomfortable did, didn't it get more and more uncomfortable the, the, the more and more pregnant you yes, became yes sometimes especially at night um, you know not being able to sleep uh, on the belly or sometimes on the back for too long mm-hmm. um, because it was heavy the weight um, but it's minor um what can I say? Minor... And a minor inconvenience. Voilà. Minor inconvenience. Uh, because I know some women go through way more difficult pregnancies than I was. Yeah. Than, than I you, had. Than you did. Than I did. Whatever. Oh, my God. <laughs> no, you're, you're very <laughs> modest about your English. You're obviously very articulate. Mm. Yeah, you are. And you learnt it all from me. No, you didn't. You didn't. Mm. You didn't. Um, it's going to have a bad impact on you, this episode. <laughs> this is going to have a bad impact on me. Why? Because they're going to think that you're... Because they're going to say you can't speak No, 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 they're not. No, people are going to like your English, I mm. predict. Um, okay, so, yeah, relatively... Um, yeah. Uh, what rel- do you think? I think you handled it brilliantly. That's what I think. I think that you, you handled it very, very well. I think my mood was great. It, yeah, it was. It was better than it <laughs> normally, no? Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> normally, oh, I don't know. We hear all these stories about like mood swings and like women getting a bit, having a surge, a surge of uh, hormones. Right. Um, but I felt I was quite balanced during all the pregnancy. In fact, you were, as you said, more balanced, even more balanced than normal. <laughs> And you said that that's because you were carrying a piece of me inside of you, which kind of <laughs> gave you this sort of balanced, calm... Okay, don't give yourself too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just reporting what you said. No, it's true, because I think you're calm. You're calmer than me. And also because when you carry, like, a little baby, you want the best for your baby. And I think it's also shuffle your priorities. And... Okay, it's kind of sounds like a cliche, but carrying life and a baby mm. puts things in perspective and you're not going to be angry uh, with certain things because it doesn't matter like what, as much as, I did, as it did before. What kind of things are you talking I don't know, about? like at work, I would have been like more pissed off with pe- some people or some clients or, mm-hmm. and just you think about carrying a baby and you're going to become a parent and there are things which are more important. You, you just think, I want my baby to be healthy. I hope there is no problem. And you have minor like disagreement with people and at the end of the day, it's not that important. Yeah. So you relati- relativize. Relativize. No, you, no, no. You, you, you put things in perspective. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So does, does that include things at home that, yeah. that normally yeah. you would have been annoyed Yeah, I would with. have killed you for things like, normally. Like what? Like, I don't know, like not doing the washing up or leaving stuff in the flat. Or okay. 
Now you've been great during this pregnancy. Okay, oh, good. Just awesome. during, just during the pregnancy. Mm, you know what I mean. I know what you mean. Okay, you were really supportive, and it's also a part of um, the reason I was so peaceful. Just because uh, you were by my side. Oh, that's adorable. Yeah, that's like the cliche moment. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I hope this does. I hope what people want to hear is the difficult things. They want to hear about the struggle. They don't want to hear all of these platitudes. Really? Why? I don't know. It's. I don't. You think that if you were listening? I don't know. To- I like hearing nice things because we heard so many negative things about pregnancy are you going to be sleep deprived or it's going to be difficult or sometimes you your couple is going to be in struggle i don't want to hear this kind of things mm-hmm. i just want to hear positive things and because it gives me faith don't you, you think know? that people might find it a bit sickening to, to hear us talking about how wonderful it all was yeah but it was just a pregnancy i didn't say like motherhood is going to be like that easy we don't know and i'm sure you will have occasions to talk to your listeners about struggling as a parent yes i expect so yeah, yeah of course i could complain about like pain i had like sometimes in my ribs you know when the baby was too high it was pushing my ribs and it was really uncomfortable but it's overall when you see the bigger picture it was great yeah okay Good. <laughs> you should be on my podcast more often. You're, you're a lot more articulate than I am. Um, so um, what about, so the due date for this baby mm-hmm. was the 21st of December. Yeah, the solstice. Solstice. Uh, solstice? Solstice. Winter? Winter solstice. Solstice. Okay. And uh, did the baby actually arrive on, on time as, as expected? Uh, no, she didn't. Um she arrived on the 26th, five days late. Um, but luckily, she arrived by herself. Uh, by a, what? There wasn't another baby in there? <laughs> no, they were supposed to induce me. Uh, like to, I don't know, the technical terms to make the birth happen with chemicals. Mm. I don't know if it's like a good definition. Sounds good to me. Make the birth yeah. happen with chemicals. So that what they were going to induce you if the baby was too. Um, it o- was the last day. The twenty six was a limit. Um, after we couldn't like let her inside because she reached the limit. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I don't know how to say it. Um, so they decided to induce me on the twenty six during the day. And luckily... That was the plan. I yeah, mean, that was the plan. We, we went in on the 21st, it being the due yeah. date, and they said, well, you're, you're not, you know, giving birth yet. And uh, Come you know, back the 23rd. Come back on the 23rd third, and we'll scan you again. Voilà. And we'll check the, the contractions and check all the other things. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then it, we went on Christmas Day. And so, well, yeah, we came back on the 23rd, same story. Yeah. Like, well, 25th. no. Uh, yeah, and then we came back again on the 25th, yeah. and they, they had told us the 26th would be the last yeah. day, and that if uh, the birth wasn't happening naturally by then, that they would start the uh, inducing uh, process, which uh, we didn't want that to happen, did we? No. Why not? Because it's, you never know, like, it's not very reassuring when they're going to say, we're going to induce you and force the baby to arrive. Mm. You, ideally, you would prefer the baby to arrive by itself. Okay. You know, naturally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because this pregnancy was so natural. You you want the end also to be natural, not to force. Because I think it's a trauma for the baby as well, the birth yeah. in itself. Yeah. So plus you add extra, you know, the chemicals, the forcing. You, yeah. 
just not very nice. I'm sure a lot of lot of women have yeah. to be induced though, and that's yeah, I'm probably sure, but probably fine plus, in, in the end. You know how much I was scared of the pain, so I thought it would be. I heard it was more painful to be induced. Really? Mm. Oh, okay. So it's so, for purely selfish reasons. Not selfish. I've just said it's also a trauma for the baby. Okay, yeah, fair. <laughs> <laughs> Are you listening? What I'm saying? Or? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so then the the twenty fifth, it being Christmas Day, we we spent mm-hmm. the day um, uh, sitting here on the sofa, binge watching Downton Abbey. Yeah. Okay, Downton Abbey. Did that help? I thought it was quite um, relaxing. Yeah, because it's so full of good sentiments. This TV show. <laughs> it is. It's a bit sort of a bit cheesy, <laughs> a bit cheesy, a bit shallow, um, and uh, nothing really. But bad things happen in the show. Yeah, but, but somehow everything works out all it's right. It's always dealt in a superficial manner with a good, happy ending at the end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think a- it's good for the listeners because English is quite good in this show. No? Yeah, yeah, it's certainly clear. You get two types yeah. of English. There's the kind of posh English of the we're, we're t- listeners. We're talking about the TV show Downton Abbey, which you're probably aware of because it's, I think, one of the the most popular mm-hmm. British TV shows in the world uh, these days. And we hadn't watched it until um, well, until about two weeks ago when mm-hmm. we decided to start watching it on Netflix, just because we thought we would watch something kind of uh, not very challenging. And a bit fun, and uh, we'd watched The Crown. That was it. Yeah. We watched The Crown, which is an interesting uh, sort of portrait of uh, mm. the royal family and the, and the and the Queen. Um, and we wanted something similar to that, so we started watching Downton Abbey. Uh, so yeah, I'm sure my listeners know about Downton Abbey. Uh, it's quite famous everywhere. But yeah, you get it's set in it's set sort of just about a hundred years ago. And um, yeah, there's the upstairs and downstairs in this old uh, country manor, uh, the uh, aristocratic family, and then the staff who serve that family. And so you get several types of English. You've got the posh, heightened, uh, old fashioned RP of the aristocrats. And then you have the um, mostly Yorkshire accents of the staff who serve them. Uh, but sometimes uh, it's difficult to understand. Which ones do you find more difficult? Um, the cook. The cook, Mrs. What's it called? Patmore. Mrs. Mrs. Patmore, the cook. Yeah. Most of the staff, depending on the class level, because it seems even in the in in the the staff there is different. There are different. Yeah. There's a hierarchy within the staff as well. Like so Carson, the butler, mm-hmm. is very articulate. Very well spoken. Yeah, and the cooks, they're more. It's more difficult for me to. Get it. You could say it's that they're more colloquial or something. Okay, colloquial. Um, so yeah, the um, the the Lord himself, Lord Grantham, uh, and his family speak of heightened posh RP, but also the butler um, speaks in mm-hmm. in a similar style as well. This very kind of uh, posh accent. But yeah, the the cooks who I think are the lowest level mm-hmm. in the house, they speak with. Um, quite strong yorkshire accents can you give us an example uh oh i don't know i don't know i don't know something like that isn't it oh mrs patmore uh where have you put them cakes <laughs> you know that, that sort of thing oh, yeah this one then um oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> all right so we binge watched uh, downtown abbey which was quite nice and you know try to you know have a relaxing time but then your contractions did start on the on christmas day didn't yeah they? on the 25th so we thought it would be like a christmas baby coming but at the hospital they told us mm, just go walking and come back later when it's more 
advanced. So uh, on the afternoon of the 25th, mm-hmm. we went for a bit of a walk and you were having a few contractions, but they mm-hmm. weren't too painful. No. You were still able to walk, but it was just a bit uncomfortable. And uh, so we continued our, our Christmas day with some nice dinner and uh, con- continued binge watching <laughs> Downton Abbey, which was nice. And you were drinking this raspberry leaf tea, which is yes. supposed to help uh, with the birth somehow. Yeah, I don't know. There are lots of uh, beliefs uh, with like raspberry tea. It helps the labor to 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 make it like quicker and mm. less painful. Also, eating dates. Um, I don't know if it's true, but it doesn't hurt. Yeah. So the raspberry teas. Well, it's, it's a bit tasteless, though. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like drinking hot water. So. Oh, well, okay. But considering the birth went well. Maybe it, it worked. Maybe. Maybe it worked. Um, and then we went to bed uh, about midnight on mm. Christmas Day after having given yeah, it. Yeah, one, I think, yeah. Yeah, midnight or something. And about half an hour later, we woke. you woke me up saying, I think my waters have broken. I had, like, first one or two contractions and one which was really a painful one, like a pain I have hadn't experienced before. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, a few minutes after, like, uh, I think my water broke and I told you, okay, let's go. Yeah. You woke me up and said, uh, my water's broken. I was like, oh, what, what was my reaction? Cause I, I didn't do the Hollywood movie. Like, right. You know, the, the cliche in the, in the movies is that when the, the, the woman's, uh, water breaks, that it's complete chaos and, uh, yeah. and there's a, like a high speed, uh, taxi journey, uh, or car journey to the hospital. It wasn't yeah, quite like they, that. They make it really more dramatic than it is. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, no, I think you were quite, um, excited, uh, but also very calm and you managed it uh, quite well. We mm-hmm. got up, we got ready, you order an Uber, and we went to the hospital, and in 15 minutes we were there. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It was quite you were lucky, brilliant. Quite lucky that it happened on Christmas night. Yeah, I mean, there was the nobody, night, no traffic. No cars yeah. on the roads at all. Uh, but I was impressed by you that you managed to get to the bath before your water <laughs> broke, which was really yeah. impressive. Like how did you? I don't know how you managed well, it's that. It's not as if we were living in such a big apartment. So no, no, it's not that far. But still, like you, you, you said to me, oh, my waters are broken in bed, and then you yeah. said, I think I can get to the bath. Yeah, and I was like, all right, go for it, and you managed to get there before uh, it all because actually happened. They told me at the hospital it didn't fully broke. Break. Uh, break. Um, I don't know how do you say it? there was like, it's as if like you have a hole in the pocket so you have a bit of a drip yeah like a trickle or a drip yeah yeah and then you have more coming so and then at the hospital apparently there are two membranes and the first one was broken but the second one they broke it at the hospital ah. so it wasn't fully out out I, okay let's spare the details yeah let's not let's try <laughs> and avoid some of the, the specific details yeah. so we got to the uh, hospital and um and what happened we had the check, uh, so it was confirmed like uh, the water was um, broken a bit. Mm-hmm. So. And we had the monitoring to check uh, the heartbeat of the baby and to check also the rhythm of the contractions. And again, to say, okay, uh, go for a walk for 40 minutes in the hospital. That's right. So And come back at 3.30 and maybe we'll uh, give you the epidural. So we went, you and me, in the corridors at night in the hospital with nobody in there, which was actually quite uh, nice because I was such in pain. 
and um, nobody could see me. We were alone in the hospital. Yeah, you, you were yeah. so in pain. Yeah, it and was you were a bit painful. In such pain. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Just a little correction for your English there. Not that you really need it, but uh, thank you. Yeah, um, but yeah, that was that was quite uh, quite weird walking around these deserted corridors mm. with you. Uh, but yeah, you, you, the contractions were really coming in quite mm. quite regularly at that point. Maybe one yeah. every couple of minutes. And yeah, it was like less than that. I felt it was one every thirty seconds. Really, and um, every time it happened, you had to grab my arm. Yeah, and so th- this is all I could do. Really, it was just be there, walking with you, and l- to every time the contractions began, your arm would, your hand would start flailing in the air, and I'd have to put my hand there, and you'd grab my arm and squeeze my arm really tight, and that's there's not there wasn't much more I could do than that. Yeah, other but that than- was very useful to be able to just express, um, you know, to have something to Hold. crush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like you, you pass the pain to someone else in a way. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I do, yeah. Okay, and then uh, what? Then. And then the, we came back at 3.30 just on time because I couldn't uh, stand it anymore. And um, they said, okay, well, you're going to go to the birth room and we're going to put uh, the epidural. So you want to explain what the epidural is? I think is? I have explained an epidural ah, before, okay. but uh, just a quick reminder, that's basically a sort of a, a nerve blocker, which is um, given with a large needle in the in the spine. And uh, it's like a big injection in the spine. And they inject this nerve blocker, which basically reduces the sensation that you have in the u- uterus and cervix and all that stuff stuff those areas um so that it's not painful anymore and so from my point of view what was happening then is that i i mean i was you know trying to keep calm but inside i was feeling very nervous and um a lot of sort of oh, it's hard to say just stress and nerves and excitement and you know like the way you feel before any big occasion um like for example if you've got a big job interview or if you've got a big uh, mm-hmm. speech that you have to do or a, a a big comedy gig or something like that for, it seems um in recent years i've just experienced this feeling so many times in so many different scenarios you know being on stage or 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 um teaching a particular class or something like that and and feeling that feeling so it's something i'm quite used to but this one was something i hadn't felt before because this was kind of like wow this is a really big moment in my life and i was trying not to think about it too much because if i thought about it too much it became a bit overwhelming just the significance and the also the potential danger because it's a pretty risky thing to, for your wife to go through or for any any woman to go through you know the childbirth um and it's a serious thing and and i knew that it could cause you lots of pain and and all that sort of thing so you know i was trying to just stay calm and i also thought that for you i needed to stay calm because if i was getting all stressed out that would stress you out so it's just a case of like just keeping composed and being kind of minimal if i can compare it to to playing music in a band which is a strange comparison, but um, when you're playing music in a band, sometimes the best thing that you can do when you're playing music with other people is just not really do 
much do the minimum <laughs> and just allow the other musicians mm-hmm. to be um to, to take the uh um what am i trying to say our daughter just made a noise but when you when you're playing in a band you you kind of do less and you allow other musicians to come forward for example the guitarists or the mm-hmm. singer and if you're the drummer for example you just pull it back and just do the absolute minimum and provide a sort of steady foundation mm-hmm. for the other um um uh, musicians to to work from. So and you I, were my drummer. It felt like I was drumming in this band, <laughs> and and that I, instead of doing lots of drum rolls and fancy things and trying to steal the show, I was just providing like this steady beat. Um, and uh, to be honest, I don't know how you could have stolen the show, but no, I couldn't. <laughs> well, that's the that's the point. That if sometimes if a drummer attempts to steal the show, mm. he just ruins the mm. show because um, that you know it doesn't mm. work because the singer has to be the the one at the front or the lead guitarist or something. And so it's a strange comparison, but I, you know what I mean, don't you? So I, my job was to just try and keep calm and try and get not get in the way, mm-hmm. but at the same time give you the support you needed. Um, no, but that was great. You stayed by my side, and it was really comforting and relaxing. And you crushed my arm in, in, in your hand. <laughs> yes. The the scary moment. There was a scary moment when they put the epidural in because it's quite a large needle. I didn't want you to look at the needle as well, no, so I was I trying to attra- distract your attention away from that. Uh, and um, so you were then at that point in the birth room on the bed, and whenever the the contractions hit you, I don't know if you remember this, but your body yeah, you, of you, course you, I you double up in pain. Mm. You'd like bend over in pain. You you close your eyes, and I'd lose you f- for the duration of the contraction. You know, you were just gone, and or, or you know, you would just be holding my arm, and other than that, just closed eyes and just bent over and um so i was trying you know i was just sort of thinking oh, that must be really painful but i'll just let her get through it and i was hopefully trying to remind you to breathe deeply and things like that but you were doing most of that yourself but then when it came time for them to put the epidural in um i thought they would ask me to leave the room because i think some guys in these moments uh faint and and they, yeah. you know, mm. I'd been told that um, by someone, I can't remember who, that I would be asked to leave the room when the epidural mm. was put in because they don't want to have to deal with uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the, uh, the father who is who is fainting, you know. But they they, they did it with me there. And, no, they um, were great. And so they, the guy was waiting for your contractions to stop so that yeah. he could put the epidural in between the contractions. But they were so close to each other. Yeah, your contractions were so regular and yeah. so so quick. Um, and I just knew that the contraction was going to come while he was putting yeah. the needle in. It I could just nice. tell because I kn- mm. knew the rhythm of it. And so, I, you know, I was waiting and he, mm. put the, he was putting the needle in and, of course, a contraction arrived while he was putting the needle in. And this is important because your, your body posture had to be right for them to get the, the epidural into the right part of your spine. Yeah. And so it involved you sitting, bending over with your shoulders rounded and, and all this kind of stuff. And, of course, the contraction arrived while he was doing it. But you... You know, I could see the pain like surging through your body, but you managed to stay in the same position. So I was really proud of you and very impressed by the way you managed it. Um, And then after the the epidural went in... That was awesome. Well, before it took Uh, effect... (laughs) 20 minutes. Before it was awesome, (laughs) you you lay down again on the bed with the epidural going into your Mm -hmm. system. 
And there was a moment there where you started to drift off. Mm. And all the time, because they had you hooked up to the, to the machines and stuff, we could hear the baby's heartbeat uh, in your, in your mm-hmm. uterus. And so you could hear the heartbeat going. And it and was slowing down. And it was slowing down. And yes. normally it was around about, what, 130 or something? Um, between 140 and 160. Okay. I don't and know a bit how low it dropped. But, yeah, but it was dropping down. Yeah. In, it dropped down into mm-hmm. double figures. It was going down into, yeah, yeah. like, really low. So they were concerned. I, I, mm-hmm. I was kind of, it was just the two of us in the mm-hmm. room. And you, your eyes closed and you drifted away. And uh, and then the baby's heartbeat started mm. dropping quite dramatically, and I was sitting there going, um, um, uh, "What shall I do?" And in my head, I thought, "Well, I don't want to, I don't want to uh, annoy the nurses and midwives." You know, that's what I was thinking. I don't want to be annoying by asking them for help. And then I thought, "What? Don't be ridiculous!" And so I pressed the red button immediately, the panic button, and they came in. And I don't know what they did, but they fiddled with the stuff. Yeah. And then you came back to life, yeah. and the baby's heartbeat came back up. Yeah. What was that? What happened? Yeah, I don't know. I remember. You know, it's like when you're about to fall asleep, and you feel yourself going away. You know, you you hear the sound around you, but you know you slide into the sleep. I don't know if you can say that. <laughs> yeah, that's good. You started drifting away. <laughs> okay, drifting away. I felt it. Um, it's like falling asleep, really. But then you talked to me, and I think you you shook me or something. Or I, you didn't I remember realize I slapped you about the face. No, I, no, I didn't. <laughs> I would have I, known. I didn't. No, really. I remember you just talked to me, or just. I think you you shook me or something. I don't know. I can't remember. Um, But then they came back and they talked to me and they said that the baby dropped, uh, her heart dropped a bit. And they were slightly concerned because it could have been an emergency C-section if uh, the baby uh, couldn't uh, recover. And um, I think one minute after she recovered and I was stable and so everything I, was fine. So I saved your life and I saved the life yes. of our daughter. I, I, I was the real hero. Yeah, you're a superhero. No, I'm not at all. It's just a joke. I quite like the idea that I shook you. No, man, say, I, I, darling, darling, no darling, it wasn't as da- dramatic as Die Hard or whatever. No. <laughs> uh, but I remember you were next to me and you spoke to me and I heard your voice. Um, and it brought me back. Okay. Is there a scene in Die Hard where where there's a pregnant woman? <laughs> no, I don't know. Birth? I said Die Hard because everything is dramatic in Die Hard. Right, I see. You Imagine know? Bruce Willis. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just Bruce Willis in a building like helping a woman give birth. I don't that was one of the deleted scenes apparently, but uh, I know what you're talking about. Okay, and you're then You're maybe the only one. <laughs> maybe quite possibly <laughs> and then um and then you felt you came back to life when the epidural mm-hmm. took effect now some women choose not to have an epidural wow they're so brave yeah why, why would they choose not to have one because it has a downside of epidural it's a chemical you have some um secondary effect sometimes you can be paralyzed uh but it's like really rare but it can happen and also the same story it's like a chemical you're numb some women prefer like just having a totally natural birth Mm -hmm. uh, which uh, seems to me very brave considering like i couldn't cope just with the pain at the beginning so i can't imagine having stayed 12 hours with this pain um so yeah it's a personal choice okay all right then and so you felt Fine. That was amazing. Then we stayed, what, six hours in the birth room together, mm-hmm. uh, trying to sleep. 
uh, in the dark and they were checking on me every hour. That was quite nice, this part. Yeah. From three or four to nine or ten. It was quite strange, though, too, for me, because we were sitting in this room. I could Hearing hear, the, I could hear yeah. the baby's heartbeat mm-hmm. all the time. There were different sounds. Like every now and then there was like a beep, 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 yeah. beep noise. And I was like, what, what's that? What's going I on? Oh, yeah, at some point there was a problem with the epidural. Uh, there's a loss of signal or something. Yeah, know. and other things, little mm. noises and buzzing mm. sounds mm. and things. And, and also the air in the room wasn't very nice. It and felt, there was this noise. To me, it felt on. like we were on a transatlantic flight it felt like we I, were, you told me that i remember it felt like we were in an airplane yeah, Hi- i find it quite just not comfortable because comfortable is not really the word but i thought it would be different and it was actually quiet nice maybe it would have been different during the day yeah. because it was at night we were supposed to get some rest and i find it a bit like restful yeah restful. and also it happened during the christmas holiday yeah so so we made you know we only had two babies apparently born uh, that night really? they told me okay. including ours so the vibe generally on the maternity ward was quite yeah. calm and relaxed mm. thankfully um and then then suddenly it was it was time to, it, it was showtime. Yeah, so we were waiting for um, the cervix to open fully. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have centimeters. It's supposed to be one centimeters per hour. Um, I think it went a bit faster, and sometimes it went a bit slower. So there is no really rule. Mm-hmm. Um, and around nine o'clock, yeah, um, it was open. So yeah. she was supposed to come out, but she was really high still. Yeah. She wasn't engaged in the cervix. Right. Normally the head of the baby is getting engaged in the cervix. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a time where you know it's really imminent. Yeah. Uh, but this one, she was stuck <laughs> quite high. And they said my contractions were not efficient enough. <laughs> Yeah, weird things to just not good enough. <laughs> exactly. Must try, must try harder. <laughs> so they said that they um, would put like a product to intensify the contraction as if it was needed. Mm. And they asked me. I said, I don't know if you said that in a previous podcast, but you regulate the amount of product you give yourself for the epidural. So I had a little pump, and I could press every ten minutes to get my dose mm-hmm. uh, as a junkie. Right. And I was totally numb. It was fine. And they asked me to stop doing that. And they give, gave me a product to intensify the contraction. Right. So the next three hours were not that great because it was painful again. Yeah, the contraction, the, the, the mm. epidural sort of wore off a bit. Yeah. And uh, you started to get more intense contractions. And then I, I noticed that you started to go back into the, yeah. the painful cycle yeah. again, like, yeah. like before the epidural had happened, but I'm sure it was like less intense than mm. it would have been uh, if, we, you, if you hadn't had the epidural. Um, and okay. so then they gave us three hours for the product to uh, take effect. Take effect, uh, and it was supposed the contraction was supposed to help the baby go down because a contraction push pushes. Pushes. Yeah, I haven't finished. <laughs> <laughs> a contraction pushes the baby down. Uh, so that was the purpose of all this process. Um, so it worked a bit. But at some point, they can't leave you without any... So they broke the water as well, the, right. because I told you there were two membranes. But at some point, they can't leave the baby more than a certain number of hours. Uh, they have to deliver the baby. Mm. So they said, we're going to try to push. And if it doesn't work, maybe we'll see if we do a C-section. So, And then we started to push. And for you, 
the word C-section was the thing, right? You're yeah. like, no, I will not have a C-section. <laughs> yeah, because some women prefer having a C-section. You know the expression, too posh to push. Do I know the expression too posh to push? I don't know. It's something quite English. I do know the expression too <laughs> posh to push, but maybe you can explain that one then. Okay. I think it's in certain um, S- classes. Class. Okay. Um, so posh, like uh, upper class. All right. Uh, some women don't want to go through the process of pushing because they think it's not very what um, graceful, distinguished. Or they don't want to have to go through the pain. So they do the easy way. I don't know if it's easier. Uh, having a C-section. So it's not really classy to push. Um, so they ha- have their belly cut and get the baby out. You can imagine this um, happening in private hospitals where yes. they where they can choose exactly what happens. Yeah, and in Paris, that's exactly what happened. In private hospital, you can choose. Hospitals, you can choose. Uh, in public hospitals, um, you can't. They do a C-section. Only if it's necessary. Uh, and I don't know, I didn't really feel comfortable of having a C-section, being cut and having no. a scar. And yeah. I don't know, you, you really, I think, well, I actually yeah, can yeah. only speak for myself. Uh, I wanted something completely natural and I'm not too posh to push. <laughs> but you, so I did push. But, but you know, you did have an epidural. So Yeah, okay, fine. No, I, but... no I'm, I'm not criticizing you for it. I, th- I, you know, I totally understand, but, um, you know, okay. All right. So then, then it's, um, but when- my push wasn't really efficient, apparently. Well, well, first of all, the, the, the mention of the C-section kind of basically said, yes. made you, made you go, yeah. right, come on, let's do yeah. this. And you started mm. to push and we had a, a, a few midwives around yeah, three, three of them yeah. around you and me mm-hmm. there with my arm out mm-hmm. being silent. And for, at that point for me, they, they were all, um, uh, encouraging you to push mm-hmm. and they were giving you all the right words and saying all the right things to try and get you to, to push and I was there just standing there like thinking does anyone even realize I'm here <laughs> you know and it's not it's not about me but um, I, I was there and I was I was thinking uh, should I be saying things too like you know I was thinking at what point should I be going come on baby push for Christ's sake come on you can do it you know do it for Britain do it for France <laughs> Um, and uh, instead I was just sort of keeping silent letting the midwives do the work he was a silent force that's right. I was just using the force, yeah, exactly. uh, just just sort of silently. Just uh, no, but they were screaming. Yeah, this uh, this woman. What, did it help what they were doing? It was a bit like a prep talk, you know. They were like, I felt like a boxer on the ring, and I had my coach saying, "Okay, you can do it. Go." And <laughs> this was like, I didn't know the midwife could be like that. So they were, you know, it's like. I don't know. Sometimes you see the midwives in their bubbly world with babies. Everything is beautiful, delicate. And I had this woman who was screaming in my ear, like, you can do this. Come on, Mrs. Thompson, you can do that. And I was like, wow, okay, fine. So, no, that was good. You were, like, steady next to me. That was great. All right. Okay, good, good. Uh, And, uh, yeah, you you tried and you pushed and pushed and nothing. And then they were like, okay, let's do it again. Let's do it again. Building it up, building it up. Okay, it's time to push now and push. And you, you would like get, you know, hold on to the bars at the side of the, the, the bed and you were pushing really hard and, and your, your face went red and I thought your head was going to explode. Yeah, because you have to block, uh, there are different way of pushing, but this one was blocking your breath, then pushing when the contraction happens. Mm. What I found 
difficult was you had to push twice on the same contraction, which doesn't really last long. It's like 30 seconds or 45 seconds. So you don't rest for these 45 seconds and you try to give everything. But you're also numb. So that's difficult to know because you don't really have full sensation of what you're doing and what you're experiencing. Um, so you can only believe what they say. Mm -hmm. But you don't know if they say, okay, that's good because they try to not discourage you yeah I, I i you told me that i wasn't allowed to look yeah no um i mean i i, I couldn't go round um no, and and see you from the front you didn't want me to do that mm. and you know i didn't really need to do that either mm. um and so anyway i was i was there by your side and so i couldn't see what the midwives could see and they were saying like you're nearly there come on you're nearly there yeah, i didn't just really believe it <laughs> yeah i i sort of didn't believe it either i thought nah it's bullshit they're, they're just saying that to make it seem like um you're nearly there mm. just to make you so that you don't lose hope mm. just to keep you motivated and they kept saying this you know just a few millimeters now and then at some point one of them said you know give me your hand and they they took your hand we can spare the <laughs> yeah you can spare the details but anyway you, uh, you touched yeah, okay, the, you touched the head them. of your daughter and that was quite and a said, oh she's blonde and say what <laughs> you can see her and say yeah she's really close um and one more push and i think the head uh, was out and then they say okay now one shoulder and i say what she's because really you you're numb you don't feel and imagine mm. like expelling a baby from your body yeah. you might think especially our baby was a bit like chubby was she uh, apparently <laughs> i What's find all? her perfect but apparently she was uh -huh. um it's something and you don't feel it yeah. so you know you have the image in your brain mm. of something difficult and painful and you don't feel anything so it's hard to believe right. until you have this little human You you see her and yeah, that's it makes right. sense. But suddenly, after all this pushing and like one massive big final push, and then next thing you know, one of the midwives has produced this. This oh. it's like an alien at first. Yeah, it's I mean, really it's, warm and it's an incredibly uh, primal moment where there's all this kind of. Um, Uh, raw sort of power happening. Ah, you pushing, and your your head is going bright red, and you're you're using all the force you can mm. muster, and you're pushing with all your body, and they're screaming, and it's like, you know, and and, uh, and um, yeah, it's very primal and quite frightening, and 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 all this sort of stuff. And then uh, they produced our daughter, and she, um, she's kind of like uh, bright pink or purple in color and yeah. she she Covered, she her hands yeah. and legs dangling down yeah. and the umbilical cord as mm. well so like you know arms and legs and the umbilical cord hanging down from her they pull her out and her legs are dangling down and she's this odd color and she's kind of like a bit wet and it looked like they pulled an alien out of your body yeah. and the, the, you know it happens it's so intense that you you have a look at her face and you you can't really look at her uh, quick enough And uh, and they they put her on your chest and it was just wow an, an emotional explosion yeah, that I've never felt that before. Um, yeah, you can cry. No, you can cry I on just, the podcast. <laughs> no, it's so intense. You have this. I don't know. It's what you wait for, yeah. right? During nine months. Yeah. Um, for me, this pregnancy went so well that it was a bit unreal. I know she was there, but it went so well. I, I was 
accommodating myself with her quite well during the day I was working. She was there. I knew we felt her. You spoke to her through my belly. You, She, she responded to you by kicking uh, your face. Um, so we knew she existed and she was there. But it does come real only when you see her. Yeah. And... Yeah, just it's raw emotions, and and there is this sense that you've crossed a threshold into another sort of part of your life that uh, mm. some weird psychic uh, natural uh, threshold has been crossed, and then there you are. We went in as two, and then we're mm. three. Yes, and and she arrived on. They put mm. her on your chest, and she and I. I immediately. Uh, felt I wanted to welcome her and to talk to her and let her hear my voice and so I wanted to say you know, I'm going to start crying now too <laughs> I wanted to say you know oh hello oh well here you are it's us don't worry everything's fine and I couldn't finish my sentence it, I, mm. I got too overwhelmed by the emotion I started yeah. crying and uh, but it was just it was a beautiful moment really yes um, but I was also very unique yeah absolutely I was really conscious of that I wanted to do it right and I didn't want to get anything wrong. And after she spent some time on your chest bonding with you, they took her away. They cut the umbilical cord. Mm -hmm. They asked me if I wanted to do it. I said, no, it's fine. <laughs> I, <don't, laughs> I could have done it. I could have, but I just thought, no, I don't need to do it. You know, it's, and uh, they then took her over to a little table um, where they checked her out and checked all of the, uh, you know, all the, different reflexes her reflexes yeah. and her vision and all these other things and they checked her body mm. and they asked me to come over there too so while they were doing that i was like looking at her and it's, it's impossible to take it all in i wanted to check every inch of her body and just to make sure she was all right and i and i did and she seemed completely perfect to me because we had been told in the run-up to the birth that she was uh, a big baby that's what they'd yeah. said you know and everyone kept saying oh she's a big baby and so we expected because of you because of me because i was a <laughs> i was 4.1 kilograms when i was born yes which is quite heavy uh, but i was long that's what my mum said i was a long baby because i've got <laughs> she's trying to find excuses <laughs> right maybe trying to make it sound nice but uh um i've got no, long true. legs and i think as a <clears throat> baby i had sort of long legs too and she has she long does, yeah. I legs noticed, and long fingers. Yeah, I noticed that straight away when I was yeah. checking her out that I was like, wow, she's got big yeah. hands, long fingers, long legs and long feet. Yeah. And so... So she's not chubby, she's long. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's the thing. And she weighed in at just under four kilograms. Yes. Which is quite heavy. Yeah, but she was also like five days over the due date mm -hmm. so she's less than four kilos for five days over the due date so yeah she's a well uh just how do you say well well developed yeah well developed baby yeah they, in fact they said when they first saw it oh she's like a one month old baby bullshit <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> no she looks like a newborn right yeah of course she does she's just a bit advanced yeah um, and so I suppose you, you were on the bed there, they were kind of like uh, tending to you as well. And while I was, um, like 
with the with the baby mm. and they after they checked the baby they left her there with me and then they went to to, to look after mm. you and so i had a chance to talk to her and yeah. she was crying and she was quite yes. sort of uh, upset and I, I just talked to her and i basically did luke's english podcast to her <laughs> and immediately no that was actually unbelievable because you started to talk to her and i think she recognized your voice immediately and she calmed down Yeah, she did. She she sort It of, was instantly. She calmed down straight away as I started talking to her and just she and, was in her comfort zone. I think she just said, oh, "Okay, I'm outside, but I know this voice and it's reassuring." Mm. I'm sure it's what she thought. I hope so. I hope that's true. Because you spoke to her so many times for long months since August when a hearing It was fully developed mm. around like 25 weeks or something like that. Mm, yeah. Like twice a day, so I'm sure she recognized your voice. And you had the skin-to-skin with her, and it was really touching. That's when, um, um, so, uh, I, I, I was wearing a shirt, and I unbuttoned the shirt, and they put her onto my chest, and I held her for about an hour, mm. um, and um, she fell asleep on, on yes. me. And uh, that was, Wow. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Just the, the forming an attachment like that straight away. She'd already done it with you, mm. and then she did it with me. And I th that was—I feel very lucky that I got to do that. Generally, I just feel that we've been very lucky so far, don't you? Yes. She's one week old. She's fantastic. Yeah, she's not fantastic. just because she's our daughter, but I mean, she's pretty easygoing. Mm. Uh, she sleeps quite well. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, she can sleep six hours in a row. Um, yeah, it's been already, what, four hours she's been sleeping. Yeah. Um, she doesn't cry much. Of course she cries. She's a baby and it's her only mean of expression. But she looks nice and relaxed. Yeah. So, and calm. Yeah. Because I know, like, some of my friends had babies who could cry all day long because they have this kind of colic when you have, like, belly pain. Mm. Um, also because they're stressed. Uh, but she looks pretty well. She does. Oh, uh, she's waking up. She's waking up. She's now we're gonna. After saying that she doesn't cry, she's now gonna exactly. cry. Exactly. <laughs> you might hear her. There you go. <laughs> she knows that we're talking about her. She's going to contradict everything we've just been saying. Now you're going to hear her crying. So uh, my wife has now got up because she's going to go over and see to the baby. Apparently, what you're supposed to do in these situations is not immediately pick her up. <laughs> It's been four hours, but they say that you should uh, do it in stages. You, when your baby's crying at night, for example, you go over and first of all you talk to the baby. You don't make contact straight away. You just make your make sure the baby knows that you're there and you talk to them, and then perhaps you give you rub the belly or or something like that. And <laughs> she is, and. Um, And then you might pick the baby up and sort of uh, uh, rock the baby from side to side in your arms and things like that and see, you know, try and work out why the baby's crying. And at, at this age, they seem to cry for just a few reasons, really. Either they've done a poo uh, in their pants or in their nappy. They've, you know, done a number one or a number two and they need changing. Um, or it means that they are hungry, which is probably what it is, because this one just i mean it, it, as soon as she came out and was put on um your chest mm -hmm. you could see she was immediately looking to feed straight away 
Um, and I think she did, right? You did feed her yes. straight away. Yes. And um, um, so it's either that they need changing, they need food, or they just need some affection and a bit of attention. And uh, so you pick them up and you sort of uh, rock rock the baby from side to side and stuff like that. And often that will calm her down. Uh, but uh, ultimately what she needs is to be to be fed. Yeah, uh, it's been four hours and a half. She hasn't had anything. Yeah, that's right. And um, so, are you are you worried about anything? Are you, are you kind of do you, are you do you have any fears at this point? Because I, I mean, I, I I'm willing to say that I sometimes think about the the fears that I have. You know, I tend to dwell on those things. I kind of worry about, oh, you know, is it going to be all right? And um, is she going to be okay? And are we no, going to are we going to do this uh, correctly? And are we doing all the right things at the right times? At night, I check if she breathes. She breathes sometimes. If she's you know? breathing, because I don't hear any noise, so I'm just checking because I'm afraid. Um, and yeah, I have the same fear like every parent. Am I going to be a good mother for her? Is she going to be happy? Um, if she's going to be healthy, you know, like, yeah. I think we all go through these kind of fears and uh, questions. Yeah, yeah. Well, so here she is, and uh, it's a, it's it. It's hard to explain, really. I mean, I don't know if if those of you who've had kids out there will know. Those of you who who haven't had kids, it might be you know difficult to to pick up on. Um, I. I, I it's something like uh, what you have lots of fears and worries but when the child arrives the child as my parents often say the child brings its own love so that they bring their own love um which means that somehow that makes it all right that uh uh you kind of fall in love with them instantly and their and the and their charm and their innocence and the you know the fact that everything is the is happening to them for the first time brings so much wonder and joy that that kind of um, makes all the fear and everything else easy to handle or you know possible to handle because they counterbalance it with uh, you know so many other positive things that in the end it's it's worth it we have been quite lucky again with sleep because she has been sleeping and we're mm-hmm. on holiday and so we've got a bit more you know time and we can sleep a little bit later in the in the yes. morning and stuff so that's not a problem but um you know, even if we had, I mean, uh, the f- you didn't sleep very well for the first three nights, but you yeah, were fine. You seemed fine. At the hospital, I mean, she wasn't sleeping as much as, um, as long as she does now. Yeah. Uh, plus, it's a hospital. You're never really comfortable at the hospital. The only reassuring thing was the panic button. Like in the middle of the night, if I had any question, the first night I think I called the midwife three times mm-hmm. um, because I was like, oh, am I doing it right? And and you hear other babies crying, yeah. but when you don't and yours is the only one, you feel like, oh, my bad mother, it's like 3 a.m. and my baby is crying, it's the only one in the aisle of the hospital. Um, and the second night, um, I thought she was. Um, she stopped breathing uh, for a few seconds, so it worried me. And they say it was totally normal, um, but it was reassuring. Uh, she was around, and yet yeah, the, the three first nights you don't really sleep because it's the first time, and mm. and plus you were not there the two first nights, so yeah. I was on my own. Yeah, um, I'm a bad father. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, you couldn't. <laughs> but then uh, you stayed with me the third night, and it was actually quite nice. Yeah, um, there wasn't a bed for me to stay in, so I had to. You know, I'm such a great dad that I just sat in a chair uh, yeah. all night. No, it was actually quite comfortable. I had another chair to put my feet up on and, and I did get some sleep. So it wasn't that bad. Um, but, yeah, when she cries, which is usually when, you know, as I've said, she's hungry or whatever. And when I'm I'm changing her nappy, she she doesn't like that because I think I'm a bit rough with her. <laughs> You know, like like she cries and she kicks her legs everywhere, and it's like really difficult to change yeah, but her. She nappy. does it with me. She as does well. it with you too. Yes. But when she's crying for whatever reason, it is quite sort of uh, it, it, the crying goes straight to your to the core of your soul. Mm. You know, somehow that the the pain that the baby is experiencing somehow cuts right to the centre of you. Um, it's amazing the the impact they can have. But also, similarly, when you see her smile. Uh, yeah. That also gets straight to the core of you too, and it's a it's a real joy. Uh, one of the emotional moments I had, you know, in the days after she was born, she's a week old at this point, yes. by the way, everyone. So the day, a few days after she was born, we had her in the room, and uh, she was crying, and we were trying to calm her down because it's very traumatic for the child at the beginning. Yeah. If you can imagine, you know, having spent nine months in the womb uh, where uh, you don't need to eat, you don't need to breathe. Most of your, your your organs in your body aren't actually working at that point. They're just growing because the placenta is doing the job of all of them. And, you know, you get all of your nutrition straight through your blood supply. It must be like being a junkie or something um, for for a child. You know, they just lie in this, in, in this warm... Uh, womb um and it, it's all intravenous and then they get born and suddenly all the organs have to start working you know the the lungs the the you know the liver the kidneys are all doing their job and everything and it must be very painful and traumatic and so yeah they they cry at the beginning because they're scared and they don't know where they are and they can't see anything anyway so she was crying and I thought, well, I know, I'll put some music on. So I had my laptop, and we hadn't played her any music up until that point. And I, she was crying, and I, I put on uh, Rubber Soul by the Beatles. And uh, the first few bars of Drive My Car by the Beatles came on, and she was mesmerized. Mm. You could see it in her face, she was mesmerized. And I realized it was the first time... Not only was it the first time she'd ever heard the Beatles, it was the first time she'd ever heard music outside the womb. Uh, we did go to a Rolling Stones gig when she when you were pregnant, so I don't know yeah. if that counts. But outside the womb, she was moving a lot during the sh- during, during that show the gig. Yeah, yeah. So that was an emotional moment for me. I mean, when I when it happened, I was welling up, and when I told i think my brother about it i started welling up a few days ago now uh you know i feel a bit more stable but uh, <laughs> a few days ago i was getting very emotional just all the time about everything um uh, but i think we're, we're stabilizing now maybe at this point we're in the in the honeymoon period darling you know that that this is the kind of honeymoon period we're in the glow of the uh of the new baby and the challenge might really kick in in a month's time or, or you know when she starts walking 
That's going to bring new challenges. It's not going to be in a month. It's not going to be a month. No, I know. When she starts talking, uh, when she, you know. When oh, well, she, we'll when deal she, when, when she with goes it. to school, when, in she, due course. when she interacts with other people, when she starts um, realizing that I don't speak French very well. <laughs> You're going to improve. You have no choice. I'm going to improve, yeah. And so we've got lots of challenges ahead, including, you know, when she becomes a teenager and all that stuff. But I think we have time. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Exactly. Let's enjoy the present moment. Yeah, you have to take it step by step and exactly. just take every moment as it comes. Yeah, okay. Um, thanks for talking to me on the podcast for the first time. You're welcome. Um, I think it's gone okay, don't you? I don't know. We'll, we'll, see, we'll, what see. <laughs> we'll see what your listeners are going to think about. I can't believe that you had a non-native speaker on your podcast. <laughs> And she makes so many mistakes. I demand you don't actually. You don't. You really don't. And that's pure modesty, what you're mm. saying and, and all that stuff. You don't. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's been good. It's been emotional. And, um, you know, maybe I'll invite you back on the podcast in after i've done another 500 episodes exactly for the second baby maybe yeah perhaps because that's again that's all you <laughs> represent to me on the podcast is just exactly you, that's your only uh role here is just the mother of my children and that's well it's yeah. not nothing no it's not nothing i'm just joking really of course but uh okay then what do you want to do now It's not much you can do. You've got a, you've got exactly. a child to feed. Okay. Thanks for listening, listeners. Do you want to say good, anything to the people of the world? Um, I hope you'll enjoy this episode and uh, the many more to come. <laughs> to come. Oh, for Christ's sake. <laughs> so that was my wife on the podcast for the first time. I hope you enjoyed listening to it and that you managed to follow the whole conversation. Let us know in the comments section what you think and uh, feel free to share your own experiences of having children, if you have any. Uh, that could be a good way to practice your writing a little bit on the website. Have you had children? What was it like for you? And was your experience similar to ours or different? Uh, do you have any advice for us as new parents? If you don't have any kids, um, you're obviously in, welcome to write your comments too. Um, what does it sound like for you? And uh, do you plan on having children one day? Uh, just let us know your thoughts in the comments section. Also, if you have any questions about any of the language which came up, you could ask those questions in the comments section. And... Um, That's always a good idea. That's one of the things that the comment section is for. Um, if you missed something in an episode or if there, you, know, you missed a certain phrase or you heard something and you weren't sure what it was or you had a question about, for example, how do you pronounce, um, pri is it privacy or privacy, for example? Because you heard my wife say privacy and then uh, a few minutes later I said privacy. So you might have had a question about that. Did you? Did you notice that? I don't know if you did. Well, I can answer that question right now. Uh, privacy is actually um, the the American way of putting it, and privacy is the British way of putting it. Um, not that my wife speaks American English exactly. I think her English is a bit more British, but um, uh, there it is. Privacy, privacy. I think that also many Brits will say privacy. 
Um, it's just one of those things that the, the, the word can be pronounced privacy or privacy and that you tend to find the Americans will say privacy and most Brits will say privacy. But that's just an example of a question that you could put in the comments section. And if you ever do that, if you ever ask specific questions about words or phrases that you've heard in episodes, then it really helps if you put a time code with your question. So just check the time at which that particular bit of language uh, comes up in the episode and just include that time code with your question. For example, what did Luke say about blah, blah, blah at about 45 minutes and 30 seconds, for example? Uh, That can really help us to answer your questions. Um, It's nice to be back on the podcast and I'm really looking forward to posting more new episodes in the coming year. 2018 will be the ninth year that I've been doing this podcast. Don't forget to download the Luke's English Podcast app. That's available in the App Store. It's an app just for Luke's English Podcast listeners. And that's where you can find some app-only episodes, as well as all of the other episodes in the archive. You can find some app-only episodes and also some bonus content for a lot of the episodes of this podcast. For example, for episode 501, the bonus content is a little video in which I show you uh, one of the presents that I received for Christmas. If you're wondering where you find the bonus content for each episode, um, when you're playing the episode, you'll see a few little icons, including a share icon, a favorite icon, a download icon, and a little gift box. If you see the little gift box, press that. That's where you find the bonus content. Also, you should join the mailing list on the website in order to get an email whenever I post something. And that usually means it's a new podcast episode and you can click the link to take you straight to the page where you'll find notes and stuff. But sometimes it's other content, like, for example, a couple of weeks ago, I posted an episode of the Earful Tower podcast with Oliver G, in which Oliver and I recorded a conversation about the Paris Metro while riding the Paris Metro. And you can find that in the episode archive on my website. But if you're in the mailing list, then you'll already know about it, right? Okay, then, that's it for this episode. I'll speak to you again on the podcast soon. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. Bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. 